Going Linux, episode 367. Listener Feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in going Linux. We hope that you find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and open source applications and using them to get things done. If you want to send us feedback, our email address is goinglinux at gmail.com, and we have a voicemail line at 1-904-468-7889. In today's episode, listener feedback. Hello, everyone. Today, no bill. I am just back from a bit of a vacation, and Bill is unavailable to record. I thought I would not wait for Bill, record this episode, and provide you with something that you can listen to in our podcast feeds. So here you go, listener feedback. As always... We'll have links to articles and other things that we mention in the show notes. Okay, we'll start off with a voicemail from Paul. Paul writes about experience with Samsung printer scanner in Linux Mint 18 slash 19. Hello, Larry and Bill. Thanks again for your podcast work and support for the Linux community. I always learn from your podcasts. Attached is an audio file, 2 minutes and 14 seconds, regarding my experience installing a Samsung M2885FW printer and scanner in Linux Mint 18, which worked then after upgrade to Linux Mint 19. The scanner failed to install using the same latest driver. This is a great printer scanner for combination around those needing a LaserJet solution. We found it at a great price around $150. Here is the forum link where I found the solution to the scanner install fix for Linux Mint 19.1. Without this post, the scanner, which worked in Linux Mint 18, did not install the same driver in Linux Mint 19.1. This might help another listener. Thanks for all your support. Paul from North Texas. Hello, Larry and Bill. wanted to give you a brief audio file about uh, my experience with the Samsung M2885FW scanner and printer that was installed under Linux Mint 18. We selected that particular scanner because we needed a LaserJet printer and the Samsung device advertised Linux driver support. We downloaded the Linux driver as a tar.gz file. We found a PDF file online explaining the installation steps for it a separate file that was not included in the driver file from Samsung. We successfully installed the scanner using the driver and then upgraded the uh, operating system to Linux Mint 19.1. The printer would respond to the driver. The printer installed okay, but the scanner did not. Looking on some forms, we found that the there were Instances of this problem reported among Linux, 19, Linux Mint 19.1 users. 
I searched in the forum for a fix and did find a fix for the scanner. So with two lines of code in the command line, adding two lines of code, the scanner problem was fixed. I don't understand why that um, an older version of Mint would support the scanner, but when the upgraded version of Mint is installed, the scanner is no longer supported. Fortunately, the community did post a fix for the scanner issue, and again, fortunately, I was able to find it, install it, and get things working, but I would have been a little disappointed had the scanner not worked in Linux Mint 19.1. In the forum, it said HP explicitly states that its drivers do not support Mint 19. In some cases, the drivers for 18.3 will still work. In other cases, they won't. We need to wait for either HP or the Mint developers to resolve the problem introduced in Mint 19. Thank you, Larry and Bill, for all your support. Our first email is from Paul, who wrote about Zorin OS. Gentlemen, greetings from Pennsylvania, Amish country. I was wondering what you thought of the OS Zorin for a new user as compared to Mint or any other version of Linux. I see on their website that they have several versions of Zorin for personal use or for business use as well as a light version. There is a cost involved. However, it seems to be very minimal. Thanks a lot for all you do. I just discovered your podcast and am learning a lot. Paul. Well, Paul, uh, Zorin is one of those versions of Linux or distributions of Linux that we've looked at and commented on periodically in the past. And Zorin is, well, let's just say that um, when you look at their website, it's very obvious that they are marketing this to current Windows and Mac OS users as a faster, more powerful, and more secure system than Windows or Mac. Uh, that can be said about any Linux distribution. Zorin is based on Ubuntu, just like Mint or um, uh, Ubuntu Mate, the two that we tend to recommend more frequently than something like Zorin uh, for new users, which is what you were asking about. And... Let's see, the other things that they have on their website about Zorin, rock solid and reliable, they say. Zorin runs on the same open source software that powers everything from U.S. Department of Defense to the International Space Station. Uh, yeah, that can be said about any open source software, not just Zorin. And that's what they're saying. They're not lying. It's just that they're um, positioning Zorin as part of open source software. And so that claim is not necessarily specific to Zorin. Uh, won't need to worry about malware or spyware, thanks to Linux's advanced security, which helps to make it safe from PC viruses. Yes, as they say, that's a feature of Linux, not necessarily a feature of Zorin. And that can be said about any Linux distribution. A world of apps and games, from full Office Suite to professional photo editing. Yeah, Office Suites and professional photo editing are available for any computer running Linux. As far as games are concerned, there are some games on every Linux. 
to get games running on Linux used to be very labor-intensive because you had a lot of setup to do, as it has been on Windows. Let's face it, there's a lot of setup to do. But over the past few years, it's become much, much easier on both Windows and on Linux. And I don't know what Zorin has done specifically around games. Uh, let's just take a quick look at what they have for the operating system link related to games and see what they mention here. So work, LibreOffice, yeah, that's included in every modern looking Linux. Ah, here we go. Games. What have we got? Super Tuxcart. That's a an old-time Linux game. And now, what is included in Zorin OS Ultimate? What does that mean, I wonder? Rise of Tomb Raider. Okay, that's a Steam game. You would need to install Steam first. Um, buy on Steam. Okay, so there's a lot of Steam-related games, which is what I'm was saying is the more expansive offering of game software for Linux in general, not necessarily specific to Zorin. And then they've got things like Kodi Media Center. Um, if all of these things are pre-installed, then that would make it easier to run games on Zorin than it would on Ubuntu Mate or Linux Mint. Although... Like I said, it's becoming very much easier to install Steam on those other two platforms and other platforms as well because of things like flat packs and so on. So, okay, so nothing fancy about their games claim unless all of that is pre-installed. So that's the thing there that I don't know about. And you might want to just uh, check that out for yourself and double check that um, we're talking about the same thing. Um, okay, and the rest of the software list is pretty much straightforward and available for every other Linux out there. What I'm doing is looking for something special uh, about Zorin that would make it much, much better than Mint or Ubuntu Mate for a new user. And I really don't see anything else. So let's go back to the main Zorin page. Okay, they talk about security, like I said, um, flexible, accessible, translated into over 50 languages. If that translation is very, very complete, that might give it a little bit of a heads up over some of the others, if you need those languages. Uh, gives you the flexibility to install alongside your existing operating system. Again, true with any Linux compatible Office documents. Run many Windows applications inside Zorin using Wine. Again, true of just about any Linux distribution out there. So, uh, yeah, nothing much has changed since I looked at Zorin last, according to what I've seen here. And I'm certainly subject to any correction by anyone in our community. Uh, so please do write in if you have some feedback, if you've been running Zorin for a while, especially if you like it better for new users than the two distributions of Linux that we recommend here. Certainly, you do not need to purchase 
uh, a Linux operating system to be able to get all of these advantages. Zorin does appear to be completely open source, and that's a good thing. Uh, completely functional based on Ubuntu, that's a good thing. Uh, easy to use, that's a good thing for new users as well. Um, but in order to get some of the features, you need to purchase the premium version. Whereas with Ubuntu Mate, Linux Mint, and most other Linux distributions, you do not need to pay anything to get all of the features. So bear that in mind. Um, other than that, in terms of functionality, I'm expecting, having not used Zorin recently, I'm expecting it similar to what I've used in the past uh, when I've tried out Zorin. And it is easy to use, easy to switch things like how it looks, uh, so you can make it look like a Mac, look like Windows. Um, those things have been well implemented in, in Zorin. And I think given its feature capabilities, the fact that it's based on Ubuntu, it's a good, solid platform that appears like it will be around for a while, has been around for a while since 2008, so over 10 years, and that as well is a good thing. So yeah, I wouldn't shy away from it unless you are not wanting to spend money to get those premium features. And of course, if those premium features are things that you don't need, then no harm, no foul. You can use Zorin just as easily as you can use anything else. Uh, but if they are, you should try Mint first or Ubuntu Mate first and try them all. Uh, see which one is better for you in terms of the way it's laid out, in terms of the flexibility, in terms of uh, its pre-configured software, and pick the one that's right for you. But what you're getting is essentially the same as what you're getting with other Linux distributions. So again, it comes down to personal choice and what you find easiest to work with and the one you like best. So overall verdict on Zorin, it seems to be a well positioned for new users. And it's definitely something I would check out as a new user. But bear in mind that what you have to pay for on Zorin, you don't have to pay for on other Linux distributions. That's it. Okay, uh, our next email is from Michael. He emailed about Ubuntu on an SSD. Hi, Larry and Bill. Currently, I'm running Ubuntu on my hard drive of my HP laptop and saving files to it as well. I'm considering changing things around so I have Linux on an SSD drive and my files on the standard hard drive so I get faster boot up of the operating system. Assuming I can install an SSD on my HP laptop... I know nothing about SSD drives or very little apart from what you've said about them. And in fact, my friend who you put me in contact with has used them and that they make very little noise and are quicker, although he may use his with Windows operating system, whereas I'm only using Linux. Michael from West Yorkshire in the UK. Michael, uh, SSDs are absolutely silent if it's an SSD and not a hybrid drive. And so, yes, much, much less noise. And on an HP laptop, if it is not one of the convertible ones that has an NVMe drive, which isn't really technically an SSD, it is more like a hard drive on a 
a computer card rather than a plug-in SSD drive like the standard small form factor SATA drives would be on a laptop. All of the laptops from HP that I have used have had swappable drives. It may require taking screws off the bottom uh, of the computer, and in some other manufacturers, you actually have to take off the keyboard as well, or instead of the bottom. Uh, in things like, oh, I don't know, five, ten-year-old ThinkPads, they make it very easy with a single screw to take out to access the hard drive and then maybe one or two more screws to remove the, the hard drive and then swap out an SSD. So that's definitely something that I would recommend that you do. It's, it's for sure going to increase the performance. Uh, installing Linux to the SSD and then using the other hard drive as your storage location is wise as well. Because, well, SSDs have a limited number of reads and writes, uh, particularly writes and erasure of data and things like that. And that's essentially what you're doing with storage. So uh, to preserve the lifetime of your SSD, making it the boot drive and storing your data where things change more quickly on the existing drive is great. Uh, you, depending on the model of HP, you may be able to install that second hard drive in an empty bay. Probably not from my experience with HPs, in which case you have to take the existing hard drive out, put the SSD in, and I would install Linux there before connecting the old hard drive again, uh, simply because it's easier to do. Then attach the second hard drive for storage, and because it's probably going to be an external drive, and if you're actually going to carry your laptop around with you, you'll be connecting and disconnecting it. I would recommend that rather than going through the extra effort of making the standard hard drive your home directory, which you can certainly do, I would simply create a link from your home directory to the standard hard drive so that when you click on home, you see a link to that drive, you click on that, and then you're looking at your data. Uh, the reason I'm recommending that is because of the connect and disconnect, it's possible that you can boot your computer and use it without the um, standard hard drive even connected if you want to. And the computer won't be looking for that missing home drive and giving you an error message that it couldn't find it. So just just a little tip there, but yes, uh, I would highly recommend this as a way to upgrade the performance of your computer, provide you with faster access to information, faster boot times, a much more silent computer overall. And if you're installing something like uh, Ubuntu Mate, when you install it on an SSD, it takes care of the settings for an SSD drive that are different from a standard hard drive, and it does that automatically for you. So nothing specific to configure there. And uh, I think you'll find this a very useful way of running your computer. Thanks, Michael. Okay, we have as our next email, a note from someone who appears to be a ham radio operator. So perhaps this was meant for you, Bill, as a fellow ham radio operator. This is from KF5TQN. And he or she wrote, Secret Squirrel, Going Linux, Discord. Sign me up. 
I look forward to seeing you next to Linux in the ham shack. If you need advice configuring the system, I'm an admin on two Discord servers, including one I am the owner of. Well, thanks, KF5TQN. That rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? Thank you for offering your services to help us configure a Discord server. We've decided, as you've probably heard in our most recent episodes, to use MeWe as our standard uh, chat. And we are continuing to use Discord. We're not running our own server, so no need for us to set up one or have an admin for one. But thank you. We appreciate your kind offer. Highlander asks about CPU falloff. Dear Larry and Bill, today I noticed a weird problem with the Commodore 64 emulator in Fedora 29. I have no clue what triggered it. Seems as though the emulator itself gets busy with something, and the number of free functions per second drops off by a lot after a while. This is not right. This is not good. I only have a workaround, not a cure to the problem. Press Alt and P to pause the emulation. Then press Alt and P to unpause the emulation. The emulator is restored to normal function for a while longer. Can anyone figure out the cause for the problem? I can't suggest anything. Just because I don't know. Okay, Highlander. Uh, I don't run any sort of emulator, let alone a Commodore 64 emulator. And I'm not sure that Bill does either. And neither one of us uses Fedora 29. So we can't really comment other than speculation on the cause of the problem. It could be a Fedora problem. It could be the emulator problem. It could be something wrong with the way the emulation is implemented. Uh, and it's Linux-wide and not a, not necessarily a Fedora problem. Uh, don't know. And so I'm going to turn this over to the minions in our community and ask if anyone either has a solution to this other than the workaround that Highlander has mentioned or has uh, any ideas as to some other things that Highlander can try. Uh, I'm assuming from the way you've described it in the email that you've already checked out the forums for Fedora and for the emulator and that's how you found the workaround. But for a cure, that may be something that someone at the Fedora distribution or the creator of the emulator has to go and fix. The good news is you do have a workaround, so it could be worse, that's for sure. Thanks, Highlander. Our next email is from Triple F Carl who thanked us. Hi, guys. I've recently got interested in Linux and have been poking around in the dark, trying to get to grips with it. I visited many websites and watched many videos, all with contradicting information, and some are far too technical, even though they say they're for beginners. I then came across your podcast. Wow, informative, interesting, and made easy for newbies like me to understand. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Regards, Carl. Carl, thanks for the kind feedback. And yes, this, that's exactly what we're going for with this podcast is to make it easy for new users to Linux to adopt Linux and begin using it without a lot of additional fluff. And from time to time, we do get a little bit more technical in what we're talking about. We try to, uh, preface with those times when we do that with 
either um, a, a similar, less technical episode, or at least a portion of the episode that it's in that gives you a little background and introduces the topic before we launch into the technical discussion. And so, yeah, we spent a lot of effort trying to ensure that this podcast is for new Linux users. And I appreciate that uh, we're coming across that way for new Linux users like yourself. Thanks again. Next, an email from Juan saying, hi again. Hello, guys. Hope all is well. Thank you so much for reading my email on episode 363. Sorry for the, quote, salty language, as I vehemently expressed my hate towards Windows 10. I promise this email is, quote, family friendly and safe for all. In my last email, I stated that after almost 20 years of casual use, I decided to go 100% Linux on a new Acer laptop, which I purchased this past Christmas. I am running Kubuntu and am very happy. Recently, I decided to install an additional desktop environment. I looked at XFCE and thought I'd give it a go. I did, indeed, install Zubuntu, and I am very impressed with the speed and customization features. I have, however, run into a tiny snag. In Kubuntu, I run Latte Dock, which I love. I was pleasantly surprised to see that it auto-started in Zubuntu as well. However, after a few tweaks to the Zubuntu desktop, Latte Dock ended up with missing icons. I logged out and back in, and still the problem persisted. I changed icon settings and still the same. Is there a way that I can disable Latte Dock in Zubuntu but have it load at startup when I decide to switch over to Kubuntu? Hmm. Let me think about this for a second. So with the two desktop environments, it's possible that Latte Dock is configured with some tweaks to specifically run in KDE Plasma as opposed to XFCE. And there may be a Kubuntu version of Latte Dock available or a tweak for Latte Dock available for Zubuntu. My suggestion would be to look in the Kubuntu forums or the Zubuntu forums for information about Latte Dock configuration. See if anyone else has the problem and a solution for the problem. And as far as disabling it in Zubuntu so that it doesn't automatically start up, it's been a while since I've used Zubuntu, but generally speaking, somewhere there is likely a graphical user interface um, way of enabling or disabling applications at startup. In other versions of Ubuntu, it's in the control panel and it's labeled something like startup applications. You simply open that configuration panel, go down the list, find Latte Dock and uncheck it so that it does not start automatically when your computer boots into Zubuntu. That should not affect Kubuntu in any way, shape, or form. It should still automatically load at startup for Kubuntu, even though you've changed it in Zubuntu, because the control panel settings uh, 
should be separate for each of those. That's the first place I would look to disable it as you've asked. And then I would go into the forums and see if there's actually a solution so that you can continue to use Latte Doc when you boot into XFCE. Those would be the two primary recommendations I would have. And the secondary recommendation would be if you want to use a different dock. There are plenty of them out there. For example, uh, Ubuntu Mate uses the Plank dock. I don't know how it compares with the Latte dock, whether it has the same features, same way of working, uh, and how well it works with the you know, KDE Plasma or with uh, XFCE. But that's another alternative as well, is to use a different dock software application, one that works with both XFCE and KDE for you. Anyway, a couple of suggestions there. Good luck. And let us know how it goes. Dylan writes about Linux in the wild. Hi, Larry, Bill. Here's a link to a YouTube video by a fairly well-known photographer and videographer, Peter McKinnon. In the video, he watches an AI construct a photograph from bits and pieces it finds online. I noticed that the computer the AI is running on is using Ubuntu. An interesting watch. And we'll have a link to that YouTube video in the show notes for everyone to watch. Thanks, Dylan, for sharing that with us. Greg writes with feedback for Mike. Hello, Larry and Bill. In episode 363, Mike wanted to know what printers to use with Linux Mint in a small business environment. I've been a Linux Mint user for a long time now. I eventually wore out my HP PSC 750 inkjet printer scanner copier and, like Mike, lamented the cost of ink. In shopping for a replacement, and keeping in mind that my wife was writing a book at the time and was going through reams of paper, I came across a Brother MFC 9460 CDN at the office supply store. Compared to my old HP, it was kind of big, but the price was right, and it was a network color laser printer, scanner, copier. How cool is that, I thought. With the wife's approval, I brought it home. That's been over 10 years ago, and the printer has been a real workhorse. We've printed almost 19,000 pages so far and haven't needed to do any of the factory-recommended scheduled parts replacement. Yes, toner is expensive, but compared to ink, not so much. And since I put it on my home network, we have one common printer instead of multiple little inkjet printers around the house. I went through the Linux Mint printer setup and wouldn't you know, there was no driver for it. There was one for the MFC 9450 CDN, and that worked just fine for the printer part. As had been my previous experience with my old HP PSC 750, you don't get the scanner, copier, maintenance, status report, etc. part of the driver. I eventually discovered support.brother.com. This site easily leads you through finding your particular printer and tells you how to download the driver. And they have complete drivers just for Linux. Better still, they have a very convenient installer package that includes not only the drivers for all the functions, but also includes installing the necessary 32-bit libraries for use with the, quote, newer 64-bit 
computer systems. The bottom line for Mike is that in addition to HP printers and their fine Linux support, consider Brother Office printers as well. 7-3, Greg, ham radio operator, W-8-F-J-K. Thanks, Greg. Yes, Brother is one of those companies whose printers don't work right out of the box, not all of them anyway, with Linux. However, they do have great drivers on their website for most of those printers that don't have out-of-the-box Linux support. It's unfortunate that they feel the need to protect those drivers behind some proprietary packaging, but at least they make them available. And I think that's a great addition to our suggestions for our listener, Mike. Greg, thanks again. That's it for our episode. And our next episode will be the next one in our series of Back to Basics. So stay tuned for that. Until then, go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux podcast community on MeWe, community.goinglinux.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.